0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow scorned American Patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review Podcast, your only source of truly independent conservative news and views. Here at Blaze Media, Daniel Horowitz back in the house. Took off a little bit yesterday for a road trip. And Really, I was thinking of just doing a short show today because I am so tired, driving about six and a half hours to a family event, um, over three hours each way, and I am just tired as anything. But there is so much to talk about, the anarchy, the tyranny. Um, Where are we as a nation with the Republican Party serving as the Ford advancing guard of Blood Libels Matter and Antifa rather than fighting it? So I was thinking as I was driving, it's been quite a while since I've really driven anywhere. And, you know, when you drive at night, often it's hard to check and scan the road for cops. And every time I thought I saw a glint of a cop car, my heart would like jump into my throat, you know, like and you almost lose control of the car. And and it's not like I drive 90 miles an hour. I don't drive rec- recklessly, but, you know, I mean, you're always scared of getting pulled over and the thought crossed my mind. I mean, even at a time where cops are supposedly beleaguered and treated like garbage and treated as criminals. What's funny is it's not like we've abolished the abolished the cops. We still have a robust police deterrent and punishment for the things that our immoral and corrupt government want them to have that deterrent for. So, in other words, they are still patrolling the roads. I mean, they were everywhere. If anything, it wouldn't surprise me if if there's going to be an increase in cops on the roads because they can't patrol neighborhoods and do their core job of protecting uh, us against violence and maintaining order. But we do have a robust police force. They're going to be used to enforce diaper wearing on our faces and other uh, corona fascism. They're going to be used to enforce um, the new edicts against self-defense. And I was thinking, we are literally at a point where the reverse Jim Crow is so evident that the cops that are so weak when it comes to dealing with the worst insurrection, domestic violence ever, suddenly will be made to be strong when it comes to you and me. Yesterday, there was truly an unbelievable story I saw as I was on the road. Out of California. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. Um, where is this here? This was a press release from the District Attorney of Contra Costa County. And basically, a lot of you have seen the video of that couple, married couple painting over this Black Lives Matter yellow, very bright yellow paint that was um, on on some sort of a, a roadway. And I thought there was a, this was a joke at first. But they are being charged with hate crimes for defacing Black Lives Matter mural. I mean, this, this is literally a press release. Today, the Contra Costa County... District Attorney's Office charged Nicole Anderson and David Nelson with three misdemeanor counts, including a hate crime for their alleged actions on Saturday, July 4th, when Defendant Anderson covered up a Black Lives Matter mural with black paint. So this is like a new codification in statute. It's like Black Lives Matter. A civil rights violation. Vandalism and... So the three charges are... Uh, violation of civil rights, vandalism, and possession of tools to commit vandalism, or graffiti. Now, folks, it would take a PhD to figure out how much graffiti has been placed on, on our nation's streets the last month or so. All of it going undeterred, unpunished. The vandalizing, I mean, taking statues down, uh, private property, public property, the lynchings, the the, the mob rushing of cars— Unprosecuted people, unless they usually, unless they wind up shooting so on, then we go and usually they're, they're charged. But otherwise, anything short of that, nothing. But if you vandalize the vandalism, if you graffiti the graffiti, then you're not only charged with vandalism, but a civil rights violation? I mean, do we have this? If I were to paint White Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or Jewish Lives Matter that is suddenly indulged by a city government, a county government, to the point that you, you're the criminal if you go and try to erase that? Now, some might say, well, uh, you know, the city gave them a permit to do it. But that in itself is a question, since when has a government ever tilted the playing field and indulged and endorsed... A specific political organization with a specific political and racial agenda, even without the violence and hatred and the neo-Marxism and the anti-Semitism, much less with it. When has the government ever done that? At what point does this not rise to the level of a national religion that violates the Establishment Clause of the Constitution, especially according to the left's uh, interpretation of it? I mean, this is endorsing a religion. You must obey, through the through the laws now, you must obey a private organization. And again, t- two important points here. Number one, you can have a permit to paint something on like a side of a building or a sidewalk. But to have, I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen it, these bright yellow letters on a prominent street like that and a racial message of a specific political organization. Sometimes it's a picture, it's a picture of the community or something, you get a permit for that, and they, they indulge it as a city. But, but, but this? Would they, have, would they have done that for White Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter? That's the point. And likewise, let's say someone would have done that, and another person would have come, and a group, let's say, of black individuals would have erased the Blue Lives Matter mural, Would they have been prosecuted for civil rights violations, much less vandalism? No. This is reverse Jim Crow. It's that simple. Everyone knows they would never do this if the shoe were on the other foot. And as I've said before, the dream of Dr. King was that everyone would be treated equal was that color should never matter. We now live in a society where color matters more than it's ever mattered. Now, some might say, well, no, uh, they've been persecuted beyond belief. So this is different. It's it's okay to somehow have the city endorse this private organization, this movement, and this racial agenda more than anything else. Here's the problem with that. If we're going to bring up 100, 150, 200-year history suddenly now when there's no evidence that there's – greater, you know, racial violence against blacks if anything it's the other way around. What about Jewish lives matter? And the the reason why I bring this up is this. We have empirical data on this. Jews are according to the FBI and other data, Jews are 2.7 times more likely to be a victim of a hate crime than blacks. 2.7 times more likely. So according to a report issued by the Anti-Defamation League, 2019 saw the highest number of nationwide anti-Semitic incidents since they were tracking it over the course of 40 years. There were a total of 2,107 anti-Semitic incidents. It was a 12% increase over the previous year. In 2018 already, the FBI reported An increase in hate crimes. 56% of anti-religious attacks were by Jews, even though Jews are only a tiny percent of the population. Victims of anti-Islamic bias accounted for just 14.6% of total attacks. According to the ADL, New York State led the country in anti-Semitic incidents with a total of 430, followed by 345 in New Jersey and 330 in California. Now, let me ask you, who committed a, almost every one of those incidents? I think you know the answer to that, based on the geography, based on what we're reporting. I mean, in New York City, it was open. So let me get this straight. If there's a right, so, so there's now a right to go and own city streets to deface and vandalize and not get prosecuted, but you get prosecuted if you defend against it or or try to erase their graffiti. You could mob cars in the streets, but if you try to run through them to save your life, you're prosecuted. Because there, there was mistreatment of blacks long ago in history. So then the question is, well, what about Jews who not only have a per capita Like the greatest incidents of of of, you know hate crimes committed against them, but in particular, particularly it's growing now, right? So we're not reinventing ancient history where we've rectified it and we've gone the other way. No, I mean this is really increasing, and it's primarily committed by black criminals. So let me ask you something: Could we now paint on the streets? I mean, if this is true, that this is a national religion. Based on the numbers and the timing of you know the trajectory of our times, this is not you know a sin of the past. This is our generation. Again, I certainly don't believe America's anti-Semitic and it's reflective of Americans. It's, it's a very small number of people that commit these crimes. I'm certainly not saying that. I'm indulging their way of thinking. If that is their thing, then by a factor of a million, we should have an, a, a Jewish Lives Matter group. It should be indulged by the state, codified into law and policy, into prosecutions. We should be able to paint the streets with that. We should be able to knock over statues of Henry Ford, who was a big anti Semite. Again, I'm not, I don't believe in doing that. I'm just saying by that logic. And anyone who goes up against that needs to be fired from their jobs. Anyone who runs through a a mob that is promoting Jewish Lives Matter needs to be prosecuted. And anyone who does any crime in the name of Jewish Lives Matter should be exonerated and exalted. I'm just saying that, 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 that is a fact. That is a fact of life. Okay, that is a simple fact of life. This is the country we live in now, but it gets worse. We talked about before how this guy, and it's not just like your color. Again, this is not, as I I noted before, you will be made to care. It's not a war on cops. Because ironically, they're going to use cops to arrest you and me. It's not like the cops are abolished. It's not even so much a racial agenda, although the war on whites is a part of it. But the ultimate goal is it's it's neo-Marxism and anarchy. It's a political agenda. Hence, in this case in Seattle, where this mob surrounded a motorist who happened to be black and he was forced to drive through and these suicidal idiots don't get out of the way. So one was run over and killed. She was actually white. <laughs> so so that's the irony. That's the irony. A black man is not allowed to defend himself from a white mob. Can you imagine that? As long as the white mob is promoting the Blood Libels Matter agenda. That's how perverted this is. That's what a joke it is. But everything that goes on in this country, just remember, it's rooted in a racialist agenda. It's it's, it's sick. We're going to get to more of this. Here's here's more areas of how it's being uh, codified into law. San Francisco supervisor, Shaman Walter, or Walton, on Tuesday introduced an ordinance to outlaw racially motivated 911 calls. The Caution Against Racially Exploitive Non-Emergencies, or Karen Act. Now, there's something funny. Like, I always thought a Karen was the joke of, like, usually a female who is like a fascist on coronavirus, like wearing a mask or standing 10 feet apart. But for some reason, it's become this thing about a white woman who like has an altercation with someone who's black. I, I'm not up on this, but that's what it seems like is happening. I don't know if there's innuendo there, but it's they, they call it the Karen Act. They spell it with a C, not a K. And it could result in people who call law enforcement based on racial bias facing criminal charges. Now, as you well know, if you would pass such a thing into law, this is not going to be just in a case where, you know, you have someone who happens to be black minding his own business and someone calls the cops on the guy. You're going to have it. I mean, this is going to be applied anytime. You, you, you'll have someone who happens to be black beating someone to death and someone will call the cops. They'll get punished for it. I mean, this is reverse Jim Crow and it's time that we have the guts to call it out. Okay, it's that simple. It's time we all stand up and call this for what it is. That's what we need to do. There's no two ways about it. And folks, do you know how bad this agenda is getting? So we talked about yesterday how we have to believe in flat earth data. Okay, flat earth data. And we therefore have to believe you're not allowed to you're not allowed to debate the notion that cops are more racially motivated in a biased way against blacks than whites in who they choose to shoot in self-defense. So we talked about this Michigan State study that examined over 900 cases of police shootings in 2015, and they found that if you adjust For per capita police presence and incidents, like, for example, you know, most places, um, black suspects are anywhere from 10 to 20 times more likely to be involved in a shooting than than someone who's white per capita. So obviously, a police shooting, by definition, is going to be taking place more there. So if you adjust for that, there's actually a bias against um, against whites. And again, it's not, I don't mean a bias, but you know what I mean? Like in the data, they're more likely to shoot someone who's white, which everyone knows. Meaning, even if you would indulge this notion that cops are all sitting in the background muttering under the breath, I hate black people. That's basically what we're supposed to believe. you got to be stupid to believe that especially post-Ferguson and Freddie Gray 2015 – that they would have a more of an itchy trigger finger against them than a white. You would have to be absurd. You would have to believe that cops are so committed to their so called racism that they are willing to go to jail for the rest of their lives because they know that's what's going to happen to them. Um, it, it's it's ridiculous. But anyway, that was the only real empirical data that actually tried to study this. So we talked about this Michigan State professor happens to be Asian American was fired for simply citing it and talking about it. So now the authors of that study take it a step further and now they want it recanted. They want the study pulled from the from the academic journals. They like, "Oh no, 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 we made a mistake. The methodology is is not good." And then they said that there have been serious like misuse and abuse of their study by the media. Yeah, right. I mean, they mean conservatives. And they specifically cite Heather McDonald's Wall Street Journal op-ed. So a day after I cited it, um, on June 2nd, Heather McDonald wrote um, an op-ed, The Myth of Systemic Racism and Policing, in the Wall Street Journal, and she cited that study. Now, here's the problem with that. So we're to believe this was just some sort of academic epiphany. Man, they, they just happened to realize, yeah, you know, our methodology was great. It's not really what we meant. It's being taken out of context. We're more talking about white, you know, the color of the cop relative to the color of the suspect. Not so much in totality whether police are, you know, uh, more likely to shoot a black than a white. That's basically what, what they were saying. Even though I have a direct quote from them. I mean, whether, it could be they spent more of their study on that but their their conclusion on on that part of it was was clear as anything they said blatantly if anything there is more of a bias in the data uh, you know showing police shooting whites i mean they they say that straight up i have the direct quotes in there so there's no misuse of it uh, heather mcdonald wasn't misusing it tucker carlson whoever else used it they were not, not misusing it but there's also an important thing here to remember heather mcdonald cited this in an op-ed in national review On July 31st, 2019. Okay, and you know, this is an obscure study. There aren't too many. There aren't too many people that write on crime. Especially in 2019. I mean, it's basically me and and Heather McDonald, Raphael Manuel, a couple other people. Very few people wrote on crime um, in general and focused on that issue. So, you know, if you're a Michigan State, you're going to get your Google alerts. You're going to, you know, if you're these researchers, your name's going to come up. It's going to be a big deal. You're cited. And, and and if you are so like, you know, oh, my gosh, it's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. You're getting the wrong idea. You would have contacted her. And and to my knowledge, I I don't think there was any uh, concern expressed to Heather McDonald a year ago when she cited this. I think we all know it's the same cancel culture that got the professor fired for merely citing it, forced these guys to say, holy heck, we wrote the study. We better do a May a couple like like a. Al-Qaeda, you know those old Al-Qaeda hostage videos where Al-Qaeda would capture a Westerner and force them to denounce the West? That's kind of what it is. I mean, this is sick. We can't run a country like this. So that's with that. But I want to move on to the next racialist agenda where we accommodate murder and mayhem. We accommodate danger in a way that we would never accommodate in any other context, any other context, and that gets back to the border and illegal immigration. Now I've said before many times, just like, just like when it comes to um, black criminals, the BLM agenda and the anti-policing, anti-incarceration agenda result in more deaths and more more, murder and pillaging of black communities and black victims of crime than anything else around. It's a similar thing with illegal immigration. If you have sanctuary cities, if you encourage and serve as a magnet to bring in illegal aliens, and then a sanctuary city is what? A sanctuary city is a jurisdiction that refuses to cooperate with ICE when they put a detainer On not just an illegal alien, they don't put detainers on random illegal aliens, on illegal aliens that are arrested for a crime in the jails. They're sitting in jail. So they're not just here illegally, but they've committed another crime serious enough to get arrested, which is increasingly more serious these days where we're not arresting people. And as we've noted so often, it's the repeat violent offenders of all races and creeds that commit most of their crimes, whether they're black, Hispanic or white. It's going to be the ones that commit the crimes that you know about that are going to commit to other crimes. So the best way to avoid crimes committed by a group of people is that the first sign of trouble to get rid of them. Now, American criminals, you know, you, you can't deport. You got to deal with them. But these guys, it's 100% preventable. Like you're here illegally and you're arrested for a crime. You should be out of here in three minutes. But yet we have sanctuaries that release them. We have a convoluted federal system that has given them due process they don't deserve, where they have all these proceedings in court that go on forever. So we now have 3.2 million criminal aliens in proceedings at varying various levels, over 2 million of them with pending final or final orders, but they're not even in ICE custody. They remain at large in the country and they commit crimes left and right. So many avoidable crimes and we don't talk about this. Montgomery County, Maryland. You know, long before you had autonomous zones in Seattle for American criminals to destroy, you had Montgomery County, loco and moco as uh, Ken Cuccinelli calls it, where that that place has basically become a cesspool of MS-13 rape and murder, child rape in particular. We've seen a lot of that. Tons. of I I must have reported on over a dozen cases from Montgomery County. So. The Washington Post reports you have this case here. Six suspects now. The this was an ambush style murder of a guy who clearly was a Hispanic in Wheaton, Maryland. It's become a cesspool. It used to be a nice area. Cesspool for MS thirteen. And every one of them is here illegally. And it turns out that two of them, Orlenia, Orlenia and Oxala Jalid Lopez Yabadabadu, are subject to final orders of removal issued by an immigration judge when they fail to appear for their removal hearings, according to an ICE spokeswoman I emailed. So that means that. They should have been removed before this murder was committed. They weren't removed. Because basically, it takes forever to get rid of them. How hard is it when Republicans had control of all three branches for them to have created a simple law, which really is... I mean, it's not the current law, but the Constitution would allow the president to do it, in my view, even without statute. But the current statute only allows expedited removal if you were... If you were here in the country illegally for less than two years, meaning ICE grabs you and you're out. There's no immigration judge. There's no you know ten years of a process. You're out, which should be the case. Remember, due process is only if we're trying to criminally convict you to 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 detain you and and lock you up in a in an American prison and convict you. But if we're just saying, hey, you broke into our country, even if you didn't commit a crime, you, you know, you, goodbye. We could do that anytime. Now it, it took a while to even apply this for the two-year level. Trump finally applied it. But I've been saying that we should have a simple rule that at least if you're arrested for another crime, you should be removed without any process, whether you're here two years, five years, or 10 years. And that would have prevented this. These people would have been removed. Folks, there are 3.2 million known criminal aliens in this country that have already been bad enough to be targeted by ICE for removal, but they remain indefinitely in this country, just undetained. Right? ICE only has like 30,000 people detained. There's three, over 3 million undetained. And God knows how many criminal aliens the ICE never kept track of. There are only about 5,500 deportation officers. Think about that. So we are needlessly sitting on some of the worst MS-13 criminals from the, the worst garbage from, from other countries. In the millions. Like American criminals, we can't get rid of them, right? And, and increasingly, we're barely locking up them up. There's a limit to what we can do. These are 100% preventable crimes. Thousands of murders and rapes and robberies and, and drunk driving every year because these people remain at large. How hard is it to unite a party behind a, a simple proposition that we should not harbor in this country other co- countries' criminals? It's not a rip on any, other, any country. I wouldn't blame any country for not wanting to keep American criminals living in their country committing crimes. But nothing. The other thing is, it turns out, that four of these individuals were resettled as UACs, unaccompanied alien children, meaning we treated them as refugees. Those of you who are new to the show, we haven't talked about immigration in a while. We, we talked about it all last year and many years before that. But these are people who self-traffic. They're trafficked by their own family members to get here illegally. And they abuse a statute that was designed for unaccompanied, meaning people that are victims, quote, a a victim of a severe form of trafficking. That's what it says in statute. They are to be resettled as refugees, which made sense. These are not victims. These are perpetrators. These people are the biggest factor fueling the recruitment of MS-13 and other transnational gangs in this country since 2014 when the Central American wave started. We have remade our country in the last six years with these Central American teens who are the most violent people on earth coming in from El Salvador and Honduras. Maryland is full of them. Maryland, Virginia. It took until coronavirus to fully shut it off. And I'm assuming it's fully shut off. I I, I would hate to look into that and find that it's not, but I'm told it is. But in the process, we let in hundreds of thousands of these people. And as, as I've said so often, they're here without any sense of purpose. Without It's just helter-skelter. They're put in these neighborhoods. They terrorize Hispanics more than anyone else, by the way. Both citizen, legal immigrant, and illegal immigrant. And in order, you, you, the way a gang structure works is that if you're new on the block, you have to show your moxie. So what what prosecutors have have shown in a lot of these MS-13 cases is that the recent arrivals from the border are the most violent because they have to really make a name for themselves very quickly. So they have to really go out of their way to be gruesome and violent beyond belief. But I'm not done with Montgomery County, Maryland. Another case, John Binder, Breitbart. A border crosser released into the United States as an unaccompanied alien child has been arrested for allegedly raping a 12-year-old girl. Linda Meza Garcia, an 18-year-old UAC who crossed the U.S.-Mexican border illegally, was arrested and charged with two counts of second-degree rape. By the way, notice it's only second-degree rape, not first-degree, in Montgomery County. Meza Garcia, Lewis reports, is accused of sneaking into the girl's bedroom on at least four occasions in three incidents. Police officials allege Meza Garcia and the girl had intercourse. Police said Meza Garcia admitted to having relations with the girl, yada, yada. Um, After his arrest on June 16th, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency placed a detainer on him. A day after his arrest, Meza Garcia was granted 10,000 bail and released. Thankfully, ICE agents, no thank, no thank you to um, Montgomery County government, was able to apprehend him. But many times they're not. He crossed the border illegally in April 2019. Was apprehended by Border Patrol. He was released into the U.S. two months later as a UAC. There are so many cases. And the thing is, these people are sent to school. So you'll, you'll have like often 18, 19, even, even a, we had a case of 20, 21-year-olds being placed in high schools where you have sixth grade girls and there were rapes taking place. This is happening to America. Would we ever tolerate this if it were white Canadians doing this? No, we wouldn't. We know why we're tolerating this. But again, the sick irony of a racialist agenda, you harm everyone, but you harm people of that race the most. Again, it's the white criminals in a white neighborhood are going to target whites. Black criminals are going to target blacks most often. And Hispanic criminals are going to have access to Hispanic victims more than anyone else. That's what happens when you judge by race and not law and order. Equal protection under, under the laws. I'm not done yet. Another case. A legal alien arrested for raping a seven-year-old set free in Maryland Sanctuary. Renee Ramos Hernandez, 56. El Salvadoran illegal alien was arrested by police after a 25-year-old woman accused him, him of raping her as a seven-year-old. Now, this was a long time ago. She alleges at least 10 times between two, 20. 2002, 2003. Um, I don't know why I'm seeing that case now. I think it's an older case. Might be from a few years ago. But um, just wanted you guys to see this. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, I'll tell you why. I mean, the court proceedings are now. Um, Because in August 2018, detectives filed an arrest warrant. But it took two years to actually find the guy. Okay? So could you imagine this guy was running loose in our country? It took two years for them to find an illegal alien accused of child rape. Yeah, it's the same... Uh, story from uh uh lewis at the local abc affiliate in montgomery county it was, it was two illegals they the two cases have nothing to do with each other one was a you know one was a, a alleged to have happened years ago when the victim was seven one was more recently when the victim was 12 but again the illegal alien rape culture it's it's, it's a huge huge deal huge deal This Patriot group in North Carolina that tracks um, that tracks, just illegal alien crime, particularly illegal alien rape, which for some reason seems to be a big deal in North Carolina. People have posited theories in the past to me about that. I always wondered, but it seems to have a lot of it. But anyway, this group... North Carolinians for Immigration Reform and Enforcement. They have a website, and they report in the month of June. They found twenty-two illegals with a total of two hundred thirty-eight child rape charges and sex crime charges in the month of June alone. I I mean I'm at, I'm at a loss of words. I don't know what to tell you guys anymore. This is so utterly insane, yet we don't have a political party capable or not, not cap- in this case, not capable because they love illegal aliens. See, that's the thing. In North Carolina, all these North Carolina Republicans, like in every other state, oh, we need them as the ag workers. Don't they work so hard? Yeah, they do. But, you know, they have extracurricular activities, too, like drunk driving, child rape, you know, things like that, too. That's what's often forgotten. So Republicans want it. And where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? We have so much to talk about. We didn't even get to all the virus news today. The craziness with that. But let's see what we can get to. But I want to transition into Corona fascism and the latest on that with um, an email from a listener in Wyoming. Wyoming. And he's gonna update us on this. But he emails me the following. And I bring this up because you're gonna you're gonna see why I bring it up because of the nature of the state we're talking about. You know, obviously I'm living outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm thinking, man, where do I move? It's a hellhole. Well, move to a red state. Well, folks, define for me what's a red state. Find me one, because I, I I don't see one. You would think of any state, Wyoming. I mean, Wyoming should be literally like, if if you look at the population density, number of urban areas, Wyoming should be the best state in the country. But this is Wyoming. Hi, Daniel. This is uh, Leon, a listener. Tomorrow morning, I'm making a stand. I work at a gun store in Wyoming where I am forced to wear a mask. All my colleagues support the mask wearing. There is a new town ordinance that all employees and customers must wear them punishable by a $750 fine. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to refuse to wear my mask. I expect them to send me home or fire me. If they take action against me, I intend to inform them of a lawsuit. I'll be bringing the following. One, the mask has made me feel tired and sick, prolonged wearing eight hours leaves periods where I feel lightheaded and it's difficult to breathe. I end up re-inhaling a lot of CO2 and not enough oxygen. In the past, I have fainted from lack of oxygen. This could potentially be a, a real problem if I were to faint while at work and cause injury, which would be at the workplace's liability as they instructed me to wear the mask. Incidentally, it would be illegal to fire me over potentially risky medical condition. I've experienced hostile work environment from people pressuring me to wear a mask in a manner where I feel uncomfortable voicing my position and haven't been offered any opportunity for compromise, even when I'm wearing it over my mouth, but not my nose, which makes it easier for me to breathe. I've been told to cover my nose, which then makes me ill. I feel the pressure is unreasonable, unfriendly, and constitutes workplace harassment. I wasn't informed of side effects of the mask or asked if I have any medical condition that would make it dangerous for me to wear it. If an employer were to instruct their employees to take medication without informing them of side effects, that would be illegal. Prolonged mask wearing is like putting a bag over your head. It can lead to a lack of oxygen and other unknown problems. To fail to inform employees of this constitutes negligence and placing an employee in a position which would be harmful. The law itself is arbitrary and capricious. It isn't backed by science. I'm a healthy 22-year-old who is at no risk from the virus and have little to no possibility of passing on. The law oppresses the innocent who don't have and can't pass covid and it causes real harm and tangible injuries to them. It sets a precedent that we should take the same measures for the flu, which in Wyoming is just as deadly. If we are not going to apply the same law for the flu, it is arbitrary. If we suddenly decide to apply the same standards to the flu, it is capricious. Where do we go for our, our refuge, our sanctuary? What is our sanctuary city? Where is our sanctuary state, folks? This guy works in a Wyoming gun store and the people are like that? I mean, is there anyone normal left in America? We have an article today out at Conservative Review. You could uh, look look it up. Dr. Andy Bostom, he's an epidemiologist. 30-year career in medical research showing how there is no proven evidence behind mask wearing. And again, folks, I have a bunch of news today, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to all of it. In fact, we're not going to get to most of it. We'll have to leave it for tomorrow. We'll have another special guest from our data guru gang against corona fascism. But, you know, Axios just put out a list of states based on their social mobility. You know, which states had the... Largest drop in movement, you know, because of the lockdown. And, you know, you had New York, Maryland, D.C. Do you know which state was in the top five? Arizona. So this notion that somehow these red states didn't have lockdown. Yes, they did. And if it wasn't enforced, it certainly was adhered to voluntarily based on the on the mobility metrics. We see it. It didn't work. Again, the spread is not such a problem. It's less deadly than the flu now per case. You know, the infection fatality rate based on the cases we're seeing now. Even in the few areas in Texas and Arizona that we're seeing an increase because of the border, at least so far, it's a very low scale. In other words, like, you know, you could make a, a, a chart, a diagram showing a 50 percent increase and, and the chart goes bonkers with the trend line. But it went up from two to four deaths. Right. I mean, you know, the numbers are still very low compared to what we're seeing in the peak. And again, these states, see, part of why these states are getting such a bad rap is it's almost like, man, you have a second round. It's like first this, and now you now it's already July, and you're still it's it's so bad. But the irony is they, you know, they barely had anything to begin with, yet they still suffered just as severe of a lockdown as most of the other states. They shouldn't have had anything. This should be their only wave. And even this wave is much milder than the wave the Northeast got. Again, this is the context that I provided in yesterday's article. If you, again, if you want to just Google my name, that's the easiest way to find it. Daniel Horowitz, Conservative Review. Click, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll click on the chronology of my articles, and you'll see it's one of the top ones. I compare. I say, which one would you rather be? New Jersey and New York or Florida and Texas? And I show it in a bunch of different charts that some of my uh, data friends on Twitter put out. Really good charts. But this is where we are. This whole thing is one big illusion, one big fat illusion. You know what's funny now? According to C- the latest CDC data, there are actually more death certificates at present, at the e- as of the end of June, that say on them flu, than COVID. I'm not kidding you. There are more death certificates that say flu than COVID. Right? You know, they have like the weekly data, and obviously it went bonkers during um during April. But now that COVID is down, it's actually Flu, the number of flu death certificates is slightly h- higher. Okay. And this is not like, oh, the flu is slightly higher than COVID in January, where the flu is very prominent, right? The flu is slightly h- higher in July. I mean, this is what we're going nuts over now. We're literally panicking now more than we did even in April. And yet it's, it's like, it's, it's not. It's more mild than anything. It's literally a national cold at this point. With obviously a few exceptions, but those exceptions are true with a lot of people. You'd be shocked at how many, I mean, it's in CDC data, every flu season, the number of people who die from the cold and the flu that were pretty much at the end of their life. And this is one of the ways that the angel of death gets them. They develop pneumonia or or whatever I mean, I'm not sure the difference between flu deaths and pneumonia deaths because they do break them out separately. So what's a flu without a pneumonia that kills someone? I don't know. If you guys are doctors, you could clue me in on that, how that happens. But it does clearly happen, according to CDC. I mean, if this is the new threshold, we're done. Yesterday, okay, the deaths, the number of deaths, In Mexico, recorded, jumped from 895 as compared to 648 last Tuesday. Positivity ticked up of cases from 38.4% to 51.5%. Thank you, Phil Kirpin on Twitter, for putting that data out. So, gee, it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure out why we have the border problems. And by the way, it's funny. Mexico is now enforcing the border. And citizens are preventing Americans from vacationing in certain beach areas. Good for them. Now, they're trying to insinuate that the problem's coming from America. The reality is in May at least it began to come from them and that reinfected, you know, the American part of the border. But isn't it funny that America, we should be at a federal level, or at least Arizona and and Texas at a state level, should be putting a mandatory quarantine. I mean, they should have a border closure, but at, at, at the very least have a mandatory quarantine like we have from state to state. But no. Why do you think it's okay to put a quarantine from New York to Texas and vice versa, but not from Texas to Mexico? Hmm, why do you think? Well, because some people and some causes and some, well, imagery that's conjured up politically are more equal than others. And again, I'm just going through one, you know, a little bit here and there, just some more stuff. But like a lot of people also forget like These are Republican governors. They refuse to mention the the, the rioting, spreading the stuff, especially in Texas with the Houston Freddie, uh, not Freddie Gray, what's his name, Floyd uh, funeral. They refuse to mention the border. They refuse to act on it. And and they had a severe lockdown, and certainly in the big cities, they always had it. Even in Florida, where DeSantis was the best of any governor, Miami-Dade always had a severe lockdown, and they have the most cases now. It's a joke. Wisconsin's the only state because of the state Supreme Court that actually didn't have it statewide, and they're the best. California had mandatory mask wearing as of May 13th or May 14th, and the cases increased. Do you know that cases among healthcare workers are up 9%? Well, I mean, these guys are almost in hazmat suits. I mean, they're not real hazmat suits, but you know they, they, they're like a lot of you know, double layers of masks and uh, shields and whatever. How do they get infected? Yes, that's right. Oh, that's right. Because a mask is only for bacteria. And just, you know, having tangible, visible things spraying on you. You know, you don't want to spit into a patient while you're having surgery on them, or you don't want them to spray on you. But microbiology, like a virus? Dude, I mean... That's like putting a bee in, in a jail cell. I mean, if you're going to tell me every American is going, or most Americans are going to wear only N95 and only follow the procedures, you know, the the replacing every time and the way you touch and don't always store it and whatever of, of healthcare workers, would be one thing. But I mean, we have this cloth, funny-looking bandit things. Everyone has their own. It's become an old-fashioned thing now. They leave them in their cars. I know I do. Cross-contaminate a million times over. Very few have N95, which is still much larger. The holes are much larger than a virus. But, you know, at least you're getting there. But again, even with healthcare workers, they're still getting reinfected. So there's that. I don't have time to read this, but you can look it up. WJXT News. Jacksonville Beach Woman 26 says she was careful, wore a mask, didn't go anywhere, but still got the virus. Gee, Sherlock, yeah. And this is what, what concerns me is that it's I, I, we don't yet have full proof of this, but it, it does seem like this, but it's very likely that the more attenuated the potency of the virus is that the more the weaker it gets the more contagious it gets it's microbiology a microevolutionary theory that's usually how viruses work hence the cold goes everywhere i mean you, you, have you ever tried to say man i really tried to avoid a cold i mean if you take Zycam early and often it often works or at least to push off the symptoms but it's very i mean you can't avoid a cold you're going to get it that's, that, that's what it is. So, But the more it is, the more they're going to panic. More people have it. Yeah, you idiot. That's the point. You could live with it. I don't know, folks. So much more news on this. I got to run. Um, again, send me your comments, questions, concerns. dharowitz at blazemedia.com. We're just getting started this week. A lot more headed out. But again, folks, if you think the Republican Party is going to save you, I got a wet market to sell you in Wuhan.